it's been a while now, but uh, several decades ago, uh, when Margot and I were were getting married, I remember a particular conversation I had, um, and it was it was it, it was memorable because it was one of the very, very few places in the course of planning our wedding when I was asked for my opinion. Uh, mostly, you know, I, I'm I'm the groom, and that's the way it works in our culture. Is that mostly Margot and her mother sorted out who who was in charge of what. And uh, once in a blue moon, they would ask me for my opinion. And I remember one particular conversation because I was talking to the DJ for the for the um, wedding reception, and um, I offered some suggestions about what sort of music I thought would be would be particularly good. And <clears throat> he very gently told me to mind my own business. <laughs> so, you know, the customer's always right, but in this case, the customer doesn't know what he's talking about. He said, he said that. Um, this is not a question of music you like to listen to, or even music that that uh, has some particular significance for you and your your bride to be. It's about getting people up off their seats and out on the dance floor. That that's the purpose of a DJ. You want people who will actually, you want people to go out and have a good time at this party you're throwing, and that will involve some dancing. And it's a hard job because because there is. Um, there's not just you and your friends, you and your people who listen to the same radio station and you talk about your music together. He says this is a party that involves people from uh, uh, different parts of the country, people in like three or four different generations, that it is a that it is an incredibly hard job and you should be glad that you've got somebody as skilled as me. So thank you very much for your advice. It is duly noted and will be duly ignored. So that was, that was the gist of the conversation. And... Um, and I was thinking about it today because because Jesus talks in in, in this uh, parable he gives he talks about people who are trying to get a response they're playing particular music and they're trying to get a particular response out of people and it doesn't work out the way that they had planned and my guess is that had the DJ listened to my advice that would have been the situation then too is uh, I don't remember the music you know the 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 wedding reception kind of went by in a fog you know we're we're still, you know, blinking from the spots in the eyes from the photographs, and and uh, now uh, we get taken from one place to another. You know, do this, do that. You know, cut the cake, um, say hi, be sure and say hi to great aunt, whoever, and and it just went by in a blur. And I don't remember the music at all. Uh, I remember we did dance at one point, but but it was uh, it was part of the the. The, the series of events that I got dragged to and from. I don't know if anybody else danced, but I'm sure that they did a better job of dancing than they would have if, if I had been the DJ. So, um, so I, I was reminded of that by this, by this passage that Jesus, uh, that we read today where Jesus talks about that. And, um, and we, we have been in this conversation where Jesus is talking to people about uh, their responses uh, to to um, to him, to his ministry, his miracles, uh, what he's been teaching people about God, um, and and we began a couple of weeks ago where where it began with answering the questions of John the Baptist. John the Baptist actually asked, "Am 
am I still right? Am I on the right path here? That he had been confused because of because of what Jesus was doing, and he wanted some clarification. And so uh, we began by looking at the way John the Baptist actually had some questions. But then Jesus, last week we saw Jesus um, addressed people's questions about John the Baptist. So Jesus has been sorting out people in terms of what are you thinking about him and about uh, John John the Baptist, and now. He's going to talk about people generally. So he's talked about John. He's talked about his own perceptions of John, who John is, and he wanted people to know who John is. And now he's talking about people generally. What what do people think about the Messiah? What do people think about him? And so that's the that's the place we've kind of moved into in this conversation. And if you weren't part of the the previous couple of weeks, you can you can catch up online. But but we're going to be picking things up, like I said, in verse sixteen, where Jesus makes this comparison talking about about how to evaluate him and it's it's a it's a good idea to listen to Jesus here I mean it's I, I would say it's always a good idea to listen to Jesus but it's particularly good here because Jesus gives us a couple of principles one of them is some some specific information we can use to evaluate Jesus and whether you're whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus it's good to know um, how how would Jesus have me evaluate him that I want to be accurate I, I may end up deciding you know I can't put my trust in Jesus I, I'm not so sure I believe any of that stuff, but it would be good to at least hear what Jesus says as a means of evaluating him. What what is his own way of thinking about how you can evaluate him, and then that would help us have some confidence in the the assessments that we make. And um, so, so first Jesus tells us how we can we can evaluate. Um, him and his ministry, but he also gives us a general principle that we can we can apply really in all kinds of things, not just church stuff, uh, not just religious stuff, but but a general principle that uh, that is worth looking at here. So, so um, I want to begin here in verse sixteen as we as we heard. So Jesus begins with a parable. He says, "To to what shall I compare?" Now, Jesus did this all the time. In fact, really, that's what Jesus is famous for um, outside of the church. Even if you're not a Christian, if you've only heard a couple of things about Jesus, you've probably heard some of his stories. He was a master storyteller. And the beauty of his stories is if you've heard them once, you remember them. So you heard the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And if you've ever heard it, you probably remember the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a great story. It tells about uh, about how what it means to love our neighbors. Uh, if you've heard the story about the lost son or the prodigal son, you probably remember it. Even if you've only heard it once, because it's this great story that illustrates the love of God for the people uh, um, in, in the world. So, so Jesus is great at telling stories. And so it's very reasonable to expect Jesus to begin with a comparison. He's going to, he's going to give us a comparison that helps us to understand what it is he's about to teach us. Now, I don't know about you, but I found this to be one of his lesser parables. Um, Everything Jesus says is good, right? I'm, I'm a preacher. You expect me to say that. But this one, I think because it's so short and because, because it re- revolves so much on cultural, uh, um, impact that, that we probably may not be getting all of the, the, the details here that Jesus would like us to have. That, that we can understand the gist. We can understand the basic idea. But we're gonna, it's not going to be as memorable for us probably as the, the Good Samaritan or something. And the reason is because our children behave differently today than they did in the first century in village life. So, so with that, what is the story? He says, what shall I compare this generation? It is like a child sitting in the marketplaces calling out to others. 
We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a funeral song, and you didn't mourn. Now, what what does that what does that mean um, for for the first century? We don't know. Um, he's going to explain what it means generally. But if it had some extra resonance, if it had extra details, we don't know because our children typically don't play. Hey, let's go over to Mikey's house and and play funeral. You know, it's it's not something our culture does, and and presumably it was something that people would have understood better in in the first century. That that's something that they expected kids to do at least from time to time. Ours don't, and if they do, they go over to Mikey's house to play funeral. They don't go to the supermarket to play funeral. So, I mean, we're just a different culture, and we understand that. But we get the basic idea: the children have have done this thing, and they expect a particular behavior from the others. That that. I played this the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a funeral song, and you didn't mourn. So we get that idea. The children are confused and upset. They're they're not happy with with what has happened because people have responded differently than they expected them to. They did this thing, and people behaved differently. So we get that idea. And of course, Jesus goes straight in and explains that's that is the situation, and he applies it specifically to the ministries of John the Baptist and himself. He says, John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the human one came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So what does he mean by that? Well, John the Baptist operated outside the normal structures of society. John the Baptist was this prophet who ministered out in the wilderness, and he lived differently. He he had a much more intense manner and he did a lot of his own, you know, he had weird clothes and he had weird food. He did a lot of foraging for food. He ate wild honey and um, a lot of insects. And so that was something that John did and people looked at him and said, that's weird. And so they discounted him. They looked at him and said, he's a, he's a weirdo. He's, he's a lunatic. He's, he's living off in the, in the wilderness. He's outside the normal structures of society. So they discounted him. But then they didn't apply the same thinking to Jesus when he came along. So the second part of this, he says, the human one, the human one came eating and drinking. The human one was part of social structures. He operated within the social structures. So, so Jesus is saying, so they're, they're, they're complaining, their complaint is exactly the opposite as the one for John. So who is the human one? The human one is this name that Jesus applies to himself. Um, it comes from the prophecy of the, uh, the prophet Daniel. He describes the ancient of days, God. God seated on his throne and God has someone come to him. The, the, the human one, the son of man comes to him. A, Somebody who looks ordinary, somebody who looks like they belong in as part of society. An ordinary person comes to him and is invested with power and authority to rule the world. This is this messianic vision that that uh, Daniel has, and it had become part of the the cultural currency in Jesus's day. And so he can refer to himself as the human one, as the the son of man, and people would understood he's he's describing the Messiah. So he says the Messiah himself comes. And people criticize him, not because he's living out out in the wilderness, not because he's eating bugs or or anything, but because he's acting like a son of man, like an ordinary person, like a human one. He's acting very normally. So he's saying your 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 complaints don't cohere. That pick one or the other, 
and, and then, and then complain about either John or about me, and then it would at least make sense. But Jesus isn't really just complaining about that. He's not simply saying that, that your, 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 your rational, your rationale doesn't make sense. Jesus is saying there's something deeper here, which is that John and I both make you uncomfortable. And so when you get uncomfortable, you look for reasons to discount what we have to say. And in the case of John, you seize on the fact that he's operating outside of the social structures. In the case of me, you seize on the fact that I do. Because what we have in common is not what we eat or drink. It's that we make you uncomfortable. So what about John makes them uncomfortable? Well, we'd have to go back and look at the whole lesson of John, the, 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 the whole story of John earlier in this in this. Um, uh, Biography, but basically, John called people to repentance. John said, "You need to rethink what you think about God and yourself." He said, "The kingdom of God has come near, and you need to ask yourself, am I ready for the kingdom of God to come near?" John is calling people to a deeper repentance, a deeper way of rethinking their relationship with God. John is saying, "Are you as ready as you think you are?" And that is a very uncomfortable thought because most of us are very comfortable with our comfortable piety. You know, we do the things. We go to the temple. We we say our prayers. We we tithe according to the, the, the ritual commandments. We do the things we're supposed to do. And John is saying that even if we do, we might not be ready. And that makes us Super uncomfortable. And so what we do is we say, well, what would you expect from a lunatic like John? He's out there eating bugs. Why should we pay any attention to a crazy man? So Jesus is saying, that's the real reason. You're playing this, this verbal game. You're, you're, you're doing this thing here where you're saying it's about the, the bugs, but I see through that. I know what the real concern is. You're not ready and you don't like somebody who suggests that. Now, in the case of Jesus, what is the complaint there? He says, they came, the human one, Jesus, the, the Messiah, came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that's the tell right there, the tax collectors and sinners. See, they want the Messiah to come. They want the Messiah to come and save them. Period. They don't want the Messiah to come and save those people. <laughs> that, that the thought that the Messiah could actually come and save people who aren't like me, people who don't have a very comfortable piety. That's a very troublesome thought. Because because the same way that John troubles me, because I like to think I'm a pretty good person, one of the reasons I think that is because I see those terrible people over there, and it makes me feel better. And the thought that the Messiah could come and save them... That makes me very uncomfortable. So what do I do? I say, well, Jesus operates within the norms of society. Jesus doesn't eat bugs. Jesus doesn't wear funny camel hair clothing or whatever. Jesus looks perfectly and acts perfectly like one of us. Jesus is a human one. Jesus is a son of man. So it bugs me. And Jesus goes on, he says, he says, he says to us, to those of us who are listening, the, the people listening to this parable, he says, wisdom is proved to be right by her works. This is the exact same thing he told John. He said, look at what I'm doing. Is what I'm doing what the Messiah would do? So if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, he said, he said, those who are blind see, 
Um, those who are deaf now hear. Those who are dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. He says, this is what we all know the Messiah is supposed to do. And so if you've got questions about, about who he's doing it for, or if you've got questions about John the Baptist and his ministry to, to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, well, wisdom is proved to be right by your works. Don't, don't listen to what I say. Look at what I've done. So he says, now think that over. And this is the problem, right? Nobody wants to think it over. The, the reason that we come up with excuses, the reason that they came up with excuses, the reasons that they came up with excuses to ignore what John had to say and the reasons to ignore what Jesus said is because it makes us uncomfortable. Modern psychologists will come up with phrases uh, that they tell us about cognitive dissonance, the, the unpleasant feeling, the psychological distress we feel when we have to rearrange our mental furniture. Nobody likes that. We have, we have phrases like confirmation bias. We have all these ways of describing what we know to be true, which is nobody likes having to change what we think about things. We love getting in that groove and just kind of hanging out there and not having to rethink our relationship with God, our readiness to be part of God's kingdom. Or the fact that we need a sinner, we need a savior just as much as those sinners and tax collectors do. These are uncomfortable thoughts for us. And Jesus is telling us, first of all, he's telling us that we need to, we need to stop with the games. We need to actually ask ourselves, am I, am I teachable? Am I willing to be persuaded by, by wisdom in her works? Or am I going to, to go on making up these excuses? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like a child who's simply complaining in the marketplace, well, you didn't do what I expected. This is not what I wanted. So the first thing he says is, are you teachable? And I, I think that's a great question, and whether you're a Christian or not, that's a great question today, because you can say, you know, how teachable am I? Um, there's all these studies that come out nowadays. You know, you see these studies that talk about political teachability, how, 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 how much people exist in their own little bubble, because we don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to, to even countenance the thought that we might be wrong. And so, so I think the first test is before we can, we can evaluate the deeper part of what Jesus is saying is we need to ask ourselves, am I a teachable person? You know, when is the last time I changed my mind? <laughs> you know, on something important, you know, not about what to have for breakfast, but something important. When's the last time I actually changed my mind? And what did I learn about myself doing it? How did I change the way, you know, what, what, what channels I got my news from? You know, uh, what have we done to say, you know what, I need to be more teachable? Because Jesus is inviting everybody. He's saying, he's saying, this is something that's worth considering. Are you even teachable? Or do you like have things bounce off you and you, you know, oh, it's the, it's the bugs. He's eating bugs or, or, you know, there's something wrong with that person and I can ignore what he's got to say because of the, because of some excuse that I conjure up. So the first question is, are we teachable? And if, if we are teachable, how do we know that? What do we do? What, what, what systems have we put in place to make sure that we have an opportunity to be taught? So that's the first question. Are we teachable? But, the deeper question, the deeper question is, is from, from Jesus is, what do you want from the prophet? What do you want from the forerunner, the one who comes to announce the coming kingdom of God? Do you want him to say, don't worry about it, go back to sleep, everything's fine? Is that what you want? 
because that's John is not your guy. John is not going to tell you, take it easy, you're perfect the way you are. God, God has nothing that he can do to make you a better person, to make you more like Jesus, because you're already there, person. You know, that's not what John's going to tell you. John's going to say, you need to rethink what you think about the kingdom of God and whether you're ready for it. But at the same time, Jesus, Jesus is saying, maybe the Savior you're expecting is a little more judgy than he is. Were you expecting a judgier Messiah than Jesus? Because Jesus is going to come. Jesus has come and is going to come again, and he's not very judgy. That, that Jesus isn't judging the people we want him to judge. Jesus is looking at you and saying, you're a mess. You're an absolute mess. Let me give you a hug. I'm going to die for you. That's what Jesus says to each of us. So we need to ask ourselves, am I, am I even teachable? Is there anything that I can learn? Is there anything I can learn, secular or religious? But then beyond that, we need to ask ourselves, have I learned the lessons of John that the kingdom is coming and we need to be ready for it? And the lesson that Jesus teaches, which is that he is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for this little parable. Um, we undoubtedly miss some of the, the richness of it because of our culture, but we understand it well enough to ask ourselves, are we, are we listening to the calls for us to rethink the basis of our piety, the, the things that we've treasured to, to keep us in a good, in a good light with you? And Lord, we we thank you for challenging the way we think about the Savior, about who needs a Savior and who he will save. Lord, help us to embrace the richness of your salvation and, and to plunge deep into the depths of repentance. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.